Hello, and welcome everybody to According to Andrew number 102, The Ukraine Crisis, A Prelude to World War III. So there have been a lot of jokes online and various uh, memes and stuff like that about how oh, World War III started. Uh, now that uh, the COVID uh, side story arc is done, uh, we're getting back to our regular scheduled uh, World War III story arc and things like that. And uh, while those memes are funny and, and of various to various degrees, uh, I think Ukraine is a much better representation of things like the Balkans crisis or a lot of the stuff that led up to the start of World War II than the actual uh, kickoff event itself. And so I wanted to kind of talk about uh, those events, what they kind of look like, and then relate them back to uh, what we're seeing in Ukraine right now and see what uh, similarities we kind of have over that whole thing. So uh, the big things about World War One is uh, we have rising powers in the uh, case of World War One, uh, the main rising power was Germany, uh, and in today we have China and Russia as our rising powers. Obviously, China is not involved, but uh, China and Russia have a—I uh, don't know if it's a formal alliance right now—but they've been working together in a lot of things. Uh, so, uh, and there—that's the rising power in World War One was threatening the hege hegemonic powers, the more traditional powers. Uh, in World War One, that was Britain and France. Uh, today, it was the—it's the United States. Uh, World War Two, uh, the main thing that kind of precipitated that crisis and that those issues were unenforceable treaties uh, in world war ii uh you have france and britain and uh today you have nato and those two differences are kind of why you see uh how those two events played out so world war one it was a, a big powder keg the whole thing kind of went off at once and basically all the uh major belligerents were involved within uh six months of the world war one starting world war ii was a much slower burn uh, there was various things kind of happening, uh, and it was spanned over like a four-year period before it really kind of kicked off. Uh, things started to escalate, and uh, it was is this much slower burn. So we'll kind of see which one uh, ends up happening in this regard. Uh, I have a feeling it'll be more of the slow type burn um, than the explosive kind of thing that we saw in the World War One. But there's a lot of similarities to what's going on. So um, in the lead up to World War One, you had uh, kind of two countries that got embarrassed, uh, which was Austria-Hungary and Russia. They were dealing with a lot of issues uh, on their borders, primarily the <clears throat> uh, Serbians. So Austria-Hungary was dealing with Serbia, uh, the main ethnic group within Russia. The people that we uh, consider Russian today are uh, Slavic, so they share a heritage with a lot of the people of the Baltic uh, area and Austria-Hungary was the kind of was an empire that was controlling a lot of these various ethnic groups, uh, Slavs being the prime one of the primary ones, and they had just broken away from the Ottoman Empire and were looking to form their own uh, nation and and kind of well actually more of their own empire because there's a lot of varying things and we've seen with in, with the Balkans in the 1990s how much of a mess that area is uh, in terms of uh, various ethnic groups that really just don't get along and need their own uh, little uh, nation states, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. That area is kind of a weird uh, thing because you, you you're kind of constantly balancing uh, what ethnicities kind of constitute and, and can work together to form a nation, and then use the state apparatus to uh, you know protect the interests of that nation. Uh, and so, if you get too many people in there, it becomes an empire, and then you you have internal conflict. They're constantly fighting each other, trying to get control of the uh, reins of the state power so they can enforce their will and their uh, beliefs and national uh, interests on the 
remaining uh, society. If you have too few, uh, you're going to be a very small state, and you're kind of at the whims of the various great powers that are around you uh, in the Balkans. At this time, it was Austria-Hungary and Russia and the Ottomans. Um, and then because Austria-Hungary was aligned with Germany, kind of Germany as well. Um, and so you kind of got to have, in the game of geopolitics, you kind of have to strike a balance on these things. Uh, this is especially apparent in the European continent, where uh, it, especially since the collapse of the Russian Empire, it's been a very fractionalized society, and there have been a lot of uh, small and different political entities that have formed and uh, uh, broken apart throughout the areas. Uh, Italy's uh, very, also a good example of a very fragmented uh, political structure within um, Europe, where, as you compare that to, like, France, for example, uh, has been very unified. A lot of this has to do with, um, what's it called? Geography as well. Uh, there's a lot of natural borders that kind of work into containing uh, the people of France, and so they've kind of been able to form a cohesive unity and identity over time uh, with that. Whereas some of these other areas, they don't have as much, and so they're they're much more susceptible to being conquered by their other peoples and stuff like that. And so they've always been under the leadership of various uh, empires and and kind of had to make the best of what they had. Uh, there's various groups like the Cossacks and stuff like that within Russia that fall into this uh, kind of situation. So uh, that's the kind of thing that we're working on. But uh, basically, the Ottoman Empire, there was a conflict within the Balkans, uh, and the, the Serbias uh, and then were able to break away. Uh, Austria-Hungary was worried about Serbia becoming uh, a regional threat to them within the Balkans area, uniting Bulgaria, Romania, uh, that you can kind of see there, uh, the Croats, uh, things of that nature, and the various other Slavs that existed within the Austria-Hungarian Empire, and then that would lead to the potential uh, collapse of the Austria-Hungarian Empire because of the amount of ethnic groups within that uh, empire. It was already very unstable, so this was a threat to them. They ended up uh, kind of taking this area over russia was looking to move against them to prevent them from doing this uh and germany was like we we got austria's back because austria helped them out in the moroccan crisis which we're not going to get into uh and because of this this kind of bolstered austria hungary's uh thoughts on okay well you know germany's got that blank check they, they got our backs kind of thing and then russia had just kind of suffered this embarrassment that they didn't really want to uh live down and on top of that, they have another embarrassment that happens a little bit later with the uh, Russo-Japanese War, where it was the first time that a European power had been beaten by a Eastern power, and that kind of uh, created a, uh, a crack in the, in, like, the idea that uh, the West was impervious and, and uh, nobody could kind of top or beat the military... Uh, expectations of the West, and most of the West was able to write this off as, oh, well, uh, Russia's a backwater. It's uh, not nearly as developed and, and things of that nature. Uh, and this wouldn't really come to the forefront until uh, World War One, and World War Two were played out, and they really lost their uh, sense of identity and, and uh, uh, the, the impregnability of Western civilization uh, because they just tore each other apart during the two world wars. Uh, so the reason that this kind of looks 
uh, like this right now is because uh, Ukraine is not in a formal alliance with NATO. There was no formal alliances with Serbia at this time. I don't think maybe Russia just said, like, basically, we got your back. And then they ended up uh, pulling the trigger that started World War One. Uh, because of this, uh, NATO doesn't have to get involved with uh, Hungary and it won't jeopardize uh, any formal alliance that uh, they do have, which means that they won't be revealed as a potential paper tiger, which is very important. Uh, we're also going through an interesting transition period where we're uh, in a new city trap where you have China and Russia kind of as rising powers, uh, especially China. Uh, Russia's kind of still getting on their feet, but they're, they're uh, definitely regional power and they're looking to lock in their sphere of influence and make sure that uh, a alliance that like NATO isn't right on their doorstep. And so, uh, you know, these kind of things uh, are bringing to the fore a potential Thucydides trap where the Thucydides trap where the rising power uh, ends up fighting the hegemonic power or the, the current world power. And usually the world power is the one that loses out in that and the rising power ends up taking over for the uh, current ruling power. Uh, so uh, that kind of covers that. Now the other one is the situation that happened in World War II. Let's, one second here. So that was uh, Germany slowly annexing various uh, territories that it had lost during World War One because they were ethnically uh, German. Uh, so first it started with Austria. That one was a pretty straightforward one, uh, and most people weren't uh, too didn't cause too much of a, a hullabaloo. Uh, the real one that kind of brought the issue to the fore is Czechoslovakia, and Czechoslovakia was a newly formed uh, country at the time. There were Czechs there, but there was also a large uh, German population within the country, and I believe with the various things that are going on, is they initially just wanted the Sudetenland. And actually, it's very similar in this regard because uh, Ukraine here, uh, it's western regions. Let's see here. So a lot of the areas um, in the... Basically, the Caucasus Mountains end up going through right where you see these rivers. Uh, that's where I believe the mountain range is as well. And so basically, everything to the... Uh, east of that mountain range is ethnically Russian and everything to the west is Ukrainian uh, generally. So uh, there have been a lot of conflicts and various issues that have percolated over the last eight years where the Donbass region and uh, there's another uh, region over there. But basically that's all, all the territory that is in Crimea and all the territory that is in east of the Carpathian Mountains uh, is that the right mountain range? I hope that's the right mountain range. Um, is Russian, they want to join Russia, and this is very similar to the Sudetenland in... Oh, wrong one. Um, in With Czechoslovakia. Those guys wanted to join uh, and be part of Germany because they were ethnically German. They're causing a lot of uh, issues, and um, there's a lot of fighting within that society to try to break away and rejoin um, Germany. Uh, Hitler was able to use this to great effect to get them to join Germany. And part of the reason that they were able to do this is because uh, France and Britain could not enforce the Treaty of Versailles that was put on Germany at the end of World War II. Because the person that actually won that war for 
those two uh, powers was the United States, and they needed a United States presence on the continent to be able to enforce those treaties. Uh, that is the, something that the United States did after World War II, and that's why we are st uh, have bases everywhere and try to enforce our will everywhere. Um, and it hasn't really been challenged, so we'll see what happens now that a potential rival and a challenger has come to the fore with uh, Russia and, and China. Um, because we've, you know, we've been fighting, you know, Afghan and, and uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, but those are very different because uh, the uh, they're not a that's a fourth generation warfare type fight. It's uh, it's not a state versus state conflict where this would be a state versus state conflict. So it changes the dynamics of the situation. Um, so you uh, have this breakaway state. They end up uh, breaking away. And the reason that these contracts were unenforceable is because the United States couldn't uh, basically voted to be isolationist after World War uh, One. They were like, we didn't want to be involved in this war anyway. And so we're not going to be involved in something that's going to drag us into European politics again. Obviously, we do get involved in World War II for various reasons. So that was the thinking and the decision after uh, World War One. So you have this interwar period where, uh, you know, Germany's posturing and stuff like that. And uh, France doesn't, because France is, Britain's basically on the, not on the continent, and they're going to use the fact that they're an island to their advantage to just kind of like wash their hands of a lot of it. And France doesn't really have the desire to go to war. And because their desire, their goal is to avoid war at all costs, it gives the Germans an incredible leverage over uh, the French. And this also kind of demoralized the fetus thing where uh, World War One was such a... Uh, psychological trauma to all of France that they're like, let's just avoid World War II at any cost kind of thing. Uh, it gave uh, Germany a lot of leverage in terms of the, their negotiations and ability to uh, break through and acquire Austria and Czechoslovakia. Um, so the big thing is uh, because of location of Czechoslovakia, let's see if I got a bigger better picture of this here um yeah so as we can see with Czechoslovakia part of the reason that this was not be able to be guaranteed is because of the, the current location of Czechoslovakia so uh in World War One Britain and France were like oh yeah, yeah we got you uh fam if if that goes to war but um you can't France and Britain the only way that they could actually defend uh Czechoslovakia is to invade Germany itself because they didn't have any land troops there they had no uh, way besides going through other countries to be there. So it, it was one thing if you had troops in that country or you shared a border with them so you could run troops into their country to help uh, defend. But since that wasn't an option, basically Czechoslovakia was an isolated area and there was no way to actually get uh, arms and uh, troops and other things into the country to resist any actual invasion. Uh, that doesn't exactly line up with uh, Ukraine today because uh, if we get get rid of this picture um so ukraine does share a border with various nato allies but it's a very small one it's very limited uh, this isn't a great picture of uh what we're looking at but um the uh the, the train and the ability 
to get troops into that area is very limited from the Allies' perspective. Uh, and because Russia holds the uh, uh, Crimea Peninsula down below Ukraine, um, they can deploy their uh, ships and uh, aircraft in such a way that they can prevent uh, U.S. allies from coming up through uh, the Black Sea to reinforce the underside of uh, Ukraine. So logistically, it's hard to reinforce Ukraine in this uh, current invasion, which basically makes makes it an isolated thing. On top of that, uh, they're not an official uh, ally, and so it's a big risk for us to get involved, especially it's easier to just kind of say, oh, sorry, I know we kind of promised that, but uh, not our problem kind of thing, and, and let them uh, be thrown to the wolves. Uh, this is not the case with a uh, situation like Poland if they end up uh, getting invaded. And so it's very interesting because Poland now looks a lot like uh, the Poland of World War II actually is placed in a very similar situation to a potential Poland of World War III. Um, because uh, through various political and uh, dynamics and, and situations and uh, positioning uh, that Poland did in the lead up to World War II, they were able to uh, actually make France and Britain kind of acknowledge their uh, their alliances and say, yeah, we'll, we'll help you. And it actually got them involved uh, in a war with uh, Germany. Now, uh, it didn't stop Poland from getting uh, conquered by uh, the USSR and uh, Germany. And it also, um, you know, didn't stop France from getting conquered. And Britain just kind of sitting on its island until the United States came to bail it out. But it uh, it was the it was the thing that was able to kickstart uh, World War III. And there is a rumor that that might actually be happening in a similar sense uh, today, because uh, Putin has an incentive to try to show that NATO is a paper tiger and get the entire uh, system to collapse along with the EU because that will allow him to exert a much greater sphere of influence and basically re-put, uh, bring his sphere of influence uh, of Russia basically back to the old Warsaw Pact countries. And this is very advantageous to Russia because um, Russia doesn't have any natural borders. And it's basically uh, the way it defeats you is by requiring you to have such long logistics trains to get to its uh, capital in Moscow and things like that, that you can't maintain them. And then they end up uh, collapsing, and then that's when they push you back and destroy you, because it's a lot of open flat plain. Uh, it gets very uh, muddy in the winter, and therefore it's hard to uh, go through that area in the winter, or in the the spring and the fall. Which is why the two times you basically have to, as much as they say, uh, uh, you know, use uh, general February and and Jan or January, general January and February is in Russia. Um, Logistically, with tanks and stuff like that, it's a lot harder to invade Russia in the spring and the fall because of the amount of mud and stuff like that. You're going to have tanks sinking and, and various vehicles that aren't going to be able to get through um, the fields and, and such uh, across a, such a large front that is Russia. Uh, whereas in the winter, the ground is frozen, and in the summer, it's solid enough that you can actually drive across these things. Uh, it's an interesting thing that people, uh, because of the failures of the likes of Napoleon and stuff like that, um, and Germany in World War II, it's something that uh, people give them grief for, but uh, once you kind of know that thing, that extra little detail, it does kind of uh, reshape your opinion on why 
uh, certain decisions are made when it comes to uh, the invading of Russia, which has only been successful, and trying to defeat Russia, which has been successfully done by the Mongols, and uh, World War I uh, Germany by sending in Lenin to uh, send them into world uh, into civil war. Um, so, uh, which... Okay, I'm going to get into that first, and then we'll get back to Poland. Um, and so, that's enough. So, Tsarist Russia and the United States, this is another thing that ties into it, the World War One. See, there's a lot of similarities between these kind of two conflicts. Um, so, in World War One, the United States... Tsarist uh, Russia had a lot going for it, but it also had a lot of internal uh, conflicts going on. There have been uh, attempted revolutions a couple of times, basically starting in the 1890s. Tsar uh, Nicholas was trying to maintain his uh, control as the uh, last absolute monarch within Europe. Almost all the rest of them have become par- parliamentary uh, monarchs, or to some ex- extent and had done a lot of reforms and, and liberalized a lot and stuff like that because there are a lot of pressures from the various populations to <clears throat> move in that socialist kind of direction. Uh, and so you can kind of see with the discontent of the populace uh, that a lot of that's going on. Um, and so the Tsar saw World War One as an opportunity to unite uh, the people, and initially it worked much to the dismay of the communist uh, international and in the United States, you could argue that that same thing would happen, but uh, I think that powder was basically burned to get the uh, Afghan and Iraq wars, and because those dragged on for 20 years, and just uh, well, I I don't I think the Iraq war might still be going, and then uh, Afghan uh, just got wrapped up by Biden. Uh, obviously, the whole debacle, but at least we're out of there. Um, you know, people are not going to be uh, primed for another war. The, the war weariness within America is just too high right now. And so this u- idea of uniting force by with this whole conflict and stuff like that that comes to the fore is very different. On top of that, uh, in World War One, you had basically Ger- Germany and uh, Russia shared a border. And so it was, you had Germans marching into Russia. That is a very different uh, situation than the United States where, where it's like, do you want to fly all the way to Europe and then go invade Russia? It's like, no. So... That's kind of situation, and because of the current political unrest and the political uh, things that are going on in Russia, you had a lot of uh, assassinations, revolutions. They had the formation of the Duma, which was basically a uh, constitution or uh, a parliament type system. They tried to do reforms uh, and pressured the Tsar, and there's a lot of back and forth between that whole thing. Uh, I believe the Revolutions podcast has a good um, series on this that really outlines a lot of kind of these back and forth and how this stuff uh, develops. Uh, and then there's a lot of rapid social change within within both these societies. Uh, today we had like social media and stuff like that. It's really changing how we interact with various people. It's causing a lot of uh, tension. Uh, then they had industrialization. They were su- switching very rapidly from a surf society into uh, a fully industrialized society that was causing a lot of issues and um, resentment within the population uh, as it wasn't a, a smooth transition. They were uh, a lot of anachronized social conventions and stuff like that that weren't compatible with the updating uh, technology of the time, and a lot of that stuff needed to be updated, figure out like a new uh, 
doing things the same in with new order technology kind of thing and that was still being sorted out it was causing a lot of discontent because uh there there was a lot of wasn't a lot of great minds within the society to figure that out on top of um the nepotism within it to make it so that uh those those people that maybe could have sorted those issues out weren't going to be uh within that society there's definitely a reason for that (laughs) um you know people within those societies don't um usually the people within those societies things usually go well but anyway so uh how will poland kick off world war three uh because i guess we're tying that in so uh poland is actually part of nato and so if uh russia decided to go into poland uh that could spark things now why would they choose to do this uh basically it would force the united states to respond to the situation in uh europe and then because the lack of forces within Europe and the inability for America to um, use that kind of uh, actually project the force that they need to on the level of a uh, World War II type thing because of our deindustrialization and all that stuff, it would show that uh, while we might be able to fight the war for a little bit, it's not going to be a sustained thing. And then once we can't sustain, the whole thing will collapse. And then you and NATO will be broken up that will allow Russia to regain its sphere of influence in those areas. And it actually might be to the benefit of those various people. We'll get into that in a second, but let me just read this uh, real quick. Uh, The U.S. Secretary of State suggests that Russia might press uh, past Ukraine into NATO territory. Vladimir Putin uh, may not stop once he has taken Ukraine, U.S. State Secretary uh, Anthony Blinken has warned. As satellite images show, Russia assembling troops, armor, and artillery along the Belarus border with Poland. The massive buildup was spotted in the Belarus city of Brest, just 10 miles east of the Polish border. Russia is assembling troops, armor, artillery, and more than 50 heavy equipment transporters uh, at the training area in Brest, the Polish border. Russia uh, has also added more equipment to a nearby uh, rail yard in Belarus, uh, said reporter Jack Dosh, uh, Pentagon and National Security Correspondent at Foreign Foreign Policy Magazine. Blinken was asked by ABC on Thursday night whether he felt the Russian president would recall his forces once Ukraine was conquered. It's possible that Putin goes beyond Ukraine. Uh, Sure, it's a possibility, Blinken told David Muir. But he stressed that progressing beyond Ukraine into neighboring Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, or Romania would mean invading NATO uh, member country and would automatically draw the U.S., U.K., France, Canada, Canada, and other uh, nations that form up the 30-country alliance. Uh, there is something very powerful standing in the way of that, and it's something called Article 5, said Blinken. <clears throat> uh, so that's from the article. Uh, Vox added this. Uh, in theory, sure, but Article 5 is precisely why uh, Russia is highly incentivized to attack any of the four countries con- uh, concerned. Vladimir Putin now has a low-risk, low-cost opportunity to shatter NATO once and for all. Uh, and he would rem- remiss if he did not seriously contemplate taking advantage of the opportunity that now presents itself. Uh, this is... So obvious that even the dimension-addled fake Biden administration is aware of it. Now, it's clear that the U.S., let alone the larger European states, uh, have no desire whatsoever to go with, to war with the highly formidable Russian military. Even their ability to do uh, so has been in question given the way in which a much larger Ukrainian military has melted before the uh, Russian uh, Kortskrieg, uh, new term for Blitzkrieg, basically. Uh, especially given the fact that the third largest European military, Germany, is considered to be roughly comparable to the now-defeated Ukrainian forces. 
And I believe we only have uh, 30 to 50,000 troops in Europe right now, and it would require us to put probably half a million troops over there, which is basically our entire force. So Putin now has the chance to prove to the various NATO member states that uh, their precious treaty, including Article 5, is worthless as the Anglo-French uh, security guarantees given to Poland during World War II. And this is what I was referring to. Uh, in light of the strategic brilliance exhibited thus by the Russian uh, strategists, I cannot imagine that this thought has not occurred to Putin and any of his generals. They know that there is no need to sweep across Eastern Europe to shatter NATO and render all of its promises null and void. A simple incursion in force that destroys a few NATO bases would almost certainly be sufficient to accomplish their objectives without risking World War III. Uh, words are often no more than just that. Uh, words in history demonstrates that the average military treaty is worth less than the paper on which it is signed. NATO is literally a paper tiger, and it is in the Russian interest to demonstrate that to its members. So, that being said, uh, there are various reasons that Poland might kind of want to go along with this. Now, uh, the main, uh, they've, they've had issues with um, the EU that they decided to join, and it was kind of uh, out of the frying pan into the fire uh, when they went from the USSR system into the EU system because uh, they basically just got communism by another name when they ended up joining the EU. And so they wanted to break away with that. Uh, the main reason that they might want to go with the Russia is that Poland is uh, Catholic and nationalist. Uh, beliefs are probably more aligned with the Russians currently today than uh, the EU uh, that they are currently a part of. Due to the years of communist oppression, this fact might be hard for the people to accept as a memory of the USSR might still be too raw for even, uh, even, if, the USS, even if the EU... It's more similar to the USSR than Russia is in its in their current forms. On top of this, uh, there's also the difference between uh, Russia being Orthodox and Poland being Catholic. Uh, this might be a sticking point. It might not. Uh, it all depends on how integrated into Russia's sphere of influence Poland ends up being if they end up deciding to go kind of uh, this route. So uh, those are kind of the, the situations that are going on right now. If Russia does invade uh, and start a war in uh, Europe to kick off uh, a potential World War III, I would be very surprised if China doesn't use it as an opportunity to take Taiwan because it would basically uh, make it so that the United States would have to respond to too many things in too many areas at once, and uh, it would probably fail to respond to any of them in uh, a meaningful way, way in time, and both uh, the people that strike first end up getting... Uh, what they want out of the whole uh, situation more than than uh, anything else, and it's it's a low cost, low risk on both their sides. Now the big thing is I don't uh, there was speak of a lot of military actions and stuff like that going on uh, near Taiwan in China like two months ago. Uh, it, it was a little while back, and I haven't really heard anything about that since. Uh, that doesn't mean that stuff's not happening. I just haven't heard of it, um, so I don't know at what level if. If the uh, Russian or if the Chinese uh, military is mobilized to a point that they could take advantage of a Russia pulling one of these moves, and there is a, a possibility that since Russia did kickstart this thing in Ukraine, they might kickstart something in Poland that uh, China is gearing up and getting ready, uh, and they're going to try to coordinate their uh, assaults on the two uh, uh, political targets that they have, geopolitical targets, um, and from there uh, be able to. 
uh, shatter the neoliberal world-based order shenanigans that uh, the U.S. is currently trying to defend um, and, ca you know, causing many issues uh, with NATO and stuff like that and trying to uh, basically cause issues with Russia and stuff like that and, and causing conflicts that we just straight up don't need um, for really no reason. Uh, anyway, those are kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, hopefully that made sense. Hopefully you guys learned something uh, about the various histories uh, of these things, and uh, hopefully I tied it back into uh, what was going on in today's sense and what we might uh, kind of expect to see uh, over the coming weeks. Uh, the Ukraine crisis will probably be a two-week affair. Um, I would say that uh, if it... I don't know if Russia would want to finish the Ukraine thing before kicking off the Poland thing, or if while the chaos is going on in Ukraine, uh, they want to kick off uh, a uh, tactical strikes on NATO bases within Poland as a show of force kind of thing. Uh, it all kind of depends on how uh, Russia feels uh, their militaries, how thin they feel their military spread and all that stuff. But um, those are kind of the various things that are happening and what we might kind of uh, expect to see and why this might be a lead up to World War III, but I don't see it as uh, the actual World War III. Um, if you guys got any thoughts on it, any uh, history of your own that you'd like to con contribute, leave a comment down in the comment section. Uh, I'd love to read them, kind of get your uh, perspectives on them. Uh, we're on BitChute, we're on YouTube, uh, we're on uh, all the different podcast platforms, Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all, those, uh, all that good stuff. Spotify, I think I'm on that too. Um, so get it wherever uh, you prefer to consume your content, and hopefully you guys found this interesting. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and have a good day.